Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not used to having that question asked of me so quickly, but I'm pretty good too, actually. A little busy, but good. Did you have the day off today? Oh, we're recording. Oh, we're recording early uh, this week. We are uh, recording so Monday early. where you are. No, no day off. No rest for the wicked for us. What? I forget there's a holiday. So two, So I did this post, and, I, and it was a daily update, and I said, mm, actually, I think I want to reference this, and I want it to be public hmm. you know, more, more often. So I switched it to a weekly article, then I posted, and I remembered it was a holiday, and then no one read it, and, I was, and then I was sad. Um, that's not true. But, um, <laughs> but, it, it, it's, uh, but now I'm like, oh, I should just take the day off. But, but yeah. I didn't. Oh, well, so. I, I mean, I, you, you weren't the only one expressing that opinion to me today. It was um, it was a ghost town around Palo Alto. Uh, I could get a coffee and feels like nothing else. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, uh, I don't know. This is this is the 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 angst of being, you know, self-employed and paid directly by your customers and, and having and, and being driven by guilt. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> I thought there was there was one point that was worth um, following up on on last week, mm. which when we had the talk about the IPO talk, and and I did mention this, um, you know, very briefly in the middle of a rant, so I understand that people missed it. Um, <laughs> How could but, they miss it in the middle of one of your rants? I don't I know. know. Yeah, are I, they I listening? Uh, they're just they're more engaged with the performance aspect as opposed <laughs> to the actual words. Uh, that is that the, the probably the most valid uh, reason to say why the, these companies not IPOing and staying private for so long is bad for inequality and and is quote unquote unfair is this is the fact that you know normal investors uh, can't partake in the growth stage of these companies where it used to be you know back in the day, like Microsoft or Apple or whatever, they would IPO very, very early. And all their biggest growth would come as a public company, mm. meaning investors investors could take part of that. And the fact that, you know, a company like Uber is is not, um, is is unfair in that only high-worth individuals can uh, take part in these special vehicles and things like that. Um, but as as I think we've talked about, that's probably a little a little overblown. Yeah, I, I think it is. I, it's, it, I mean, we're talking about uh, fundamentally wealth inequality, right? We're talking about low and middle income earners. And I don't think they're going to put invest all their life savings into a company like Uber. I, I think even traditionally, most of the exposure folks like this would have had to companies uh, like using the historical examples of Apple or Microsoft would have been through their, their retirement funds anyway. And as we've discussed, uh, Fidelities and so on are still investing in these unicorns. In fact, uh, they're investing in a portfolio of the unicorns as opposed to trying to pick individual stocks. And as you made the excellent point last week, if you invest in the portfolio, they are doing fantastic. It's when you end up picking the losers that you end up not doing so well. So I, I, I mean, I, the point is the point is well made, but I think net net, I, I, like a, I don't think that they were that they had that they have that much money or were putting that much money into these stocks in the first instance. And two, historically, they've always been exposed through retirement, and they're still getting exposed through their retirement funds. Right, exactly. And people, you know, it's these uh, non-VC investors that are driving a lot of this late-stage investing. I mean, Fidelity's one, T. Rowe Price is another, um, and and yes, there are some of them. Uh, you know, maybe like Tiger Cap, I think is more. 
uh, high worth individuals. I'm not. I'm not certain about that, mm-hmm. but for sure, like the fidelity ones and, and the two or price ones are like the, these are these are like retirement funds. And actually, one of the criticisms has been, oh, how how dare they put people's retirements at risk, right? And so, like, um, <laughs> when actually, even then, they're like 05 percent of of like their, their their total portfolio. I mean, the exposure. And that's the thing people forget is, is the the. As much as we in the Valley are are so focused on this stuff relative to the economy as a whole, I mean, we're talking very, you know, s- small amounts of money. Yeah. And the way they're investing, again, like this is... This doesn't feel like 1999 again. The way they're investing in a portfolio of companies that are having a real impact on the world feels like a, a, a it feels like a a, a a relatively conservative and sensible approach to investing in the industry uh, with all these things happening right now. You know, so right? No, ex- exactly. And I think it, again, it's all it's all the perspective issue because from from a macro perspective, and, and there's there, there's good parts, right? Because the the economy broadly and the stock market broadly and mom and pop investors broadly are less exposed to to what to what's happening mm. um and and to be clear and I, and I think again this is where it gets in the trouble with 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 our perspective and the perspective of most of the readers and listeners to this is that you know that's the perspective of people in the valley and in the valley like yes there there is and will be pain when when and if this contraction uh happens or tightening happens as many people contend that that it is happening mm. uh and, and that does again that doesn't change the fact that that it's painful but it also doesn't change the fact that it's a, it's a different situation than than what came before in in um you know in, in the dot-com era so wait you're you're telling me that there are views of people outside the valley reportedly reportedly <laughs> that's the word i'm looking for um speaking of speaking of fidelity uh if you pull this off i'm gonna say it's nice well, Fidelity uh, was in the news last at the end at the end of last year for uh, the marking down their portfolio uh, companies, yeah. um, and w- which was interesting for a few reasons. I mean, I think people, you know, they 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 report it as part of the regular reporting, and this is kind of the weird thing about you know them investing in because usually they don't invest in private companies, so mm. it's never been an issue. But now that they are, they have to report it. But obviously, they're not reporting based on the underlying financials because they don't necessarily have access to those. You know, once once they report, but they're they're a function. A, a company's price is a function not just of the underlying company; it's also a function of the sort of basket of companies that 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 they are compared to. So when comparable companies, um, you know, so so th- th- there's there's multiple factors. So for example, like Snapchat was marked down quite a bit uh, in one of these things, but if you notice, the markdown seemed to rather track the fall in Twitter stock. For example, mm. and then one month Twitter stock was back up, and sure enough, the Snapchat valuation w- was back up. Mm. And so, I, like in that case, I think it was clear the the Fidelity's markdown, which is done by a separate committee than investors. Like there's a committee that's dedicated to just pricing their their assets. Like Fidelity has they follow a um a mark a mark to market model, which is that basically the price of an asset is worth whatever it can be sold at that point. Mm. And the problem is that given their illiquid assets, that's actually you have to just guesstimate a, well, a little bit. It, and it sounds like their guesstimates are based on an old an old finance approach which are, which is like the abbreviation is comps where you find comparable companies. But it sounds like I mean my initial reaction to what you just said if they if they're comping 
if they're comparing Snapchat to Twitter, they're not fundamentally whoever's doing this is is thinking about it in an old world style of analysis as opposed to the 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 a deep understanding of of how these companies make money and the dynamics of these companies because and and the way they're competing because uh, Twitter is a very different company from Snapchat and I don't just say that from a user perspective I also say it from a monetization perspective um, we talked about the problems Twitter faces well I mean we've talked about them plenty but how their branding could be great but they don't really have enough reach Snapchat doesn't have that problem on the branding perspective. It has this fantastic audience um, that's growing like crazy. Uh, Like comping, comparing Snapchat to Twitter just seems like uh, mm, interesting. Well, I mean, we're, this is, we're off on on a bit of a rattle here, but I mean, for one, they are competing because they're both in the advertising market, Mm. uh, as we talked about last week. But two, the bigger point is, again, you're taking the Silicon Valley perspective, which, to be fair, is what I mostly write write from as well, Mm. which is, oh, they're very different. But Fidelity is, 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 is following a legal requirement to mark, Mm -hmm. to market. Of course. One asset out of many, many assets that makes a point oh 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 one percent of their money yeah. under management or something, and so th- they're not going to do deep rooted analysis yeah, every day. That's fair. And every, every they, like and, they price this stuff every single day, and they're not going to so, sell it either, right? So right. It and so really it's all it's, all it's it's all an algorithm sort of sort of thing. Like basically, they set up the comps and they set up the initial like. And I'm sure whenever they they set that up originally, mm. that they they, you know, figured out, mm-hmm. they made a determination of what it is relative. You know, I'm sure ba- Facebook's in the basket and Twitter's in the basket. I don't right. know what it is. But the whole point being, it's it's not it's not that, it's not that big a deal. The Fidelity markdowns, I think, weren't necessarily that big a deal. They had a lot more to do with the public markets than the private markets. But the one company that really stood out when Fidelity did these markdowns was uh, Zenefits. And what was so... Uh, interesting was that Zenefits was down 48%, but it was down, like, that was like three months after Fidelity <laughs> invested in them. So basically, Fidelity cut the value of their investment in half in a matter of, like, two or three months, mm. uh, which was which was interesting because, on one hand, uh, lots of SaaS companies, uh, the SaaS basket, the SaaS comp has really, you know, taken a real haircut over over the last, last several months. Um, on the other hand, that that seemed awfully stark, uh, and then um, a few months later, uh, word came out that the company was uh, falling well short of its of its revenue projections. Uh, meanwhile, BuzzFeed was releasing a series mm. of investigative articles. Your, your favorite <laughs> publication, BuzzFeed. Mm. I, uh, I you, yeah, like I I read that, and that was. I mean, it felt a little bit like there was a bit of an agenda, but there's no argument that the quality of the journalism and the quality of the investigating and the digging was like top notch. So, yeah. why why do you think there was an agenda? Uh, well, so I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't dig enough into it. But hasn't there been, hasn't there been suggestions of some of these tech publications having an agenda based on who's financing them, which VCs where? And I was right, like, but they're both financed by the same by. By, and, by Andreessen and, Horowitz. Well, there you go. So it just, it, that's what went through the back of my mind as I read it. I was like, I wonder what caused this. And and uh, that's what came to mind. And it seems like it was a completely false and unfair thing to think. Well, uh, um, 
You love to think false enough for things about BuzzFeed. I deserve that. <laughs> no, you don't. Now you made me feel bad. You were supposed to give me a nice hearty laugh, and I was gonna be like my my I, I my that. probably unfair. No, no, no. It I was feel, great. See, now I feel guilty. Uh, this is how this is how I live my life, and you're making it worse. Um, sorry, anyhow, I interrupted. The, the BuzzFeed has some investigations that they were basically uh, all skirting would be a gentle way of putting their approach to licensing. Um, their salespeople. So the way the way benefits work is they offer software for free to small businesses, uh, HR software, payroll software, that sort of thing. And uh, once you get on the software, then one you like their salespeople will follow up, offering to be your insurance broker uh, for the various sorts of insurance you have you you have to offer your employees and and all. There's lots of them because of of we're. <laughs> for lots of reasons. Um, and then two, there's parts of it, like it was built into like the software. So it was just easier to to plug in with the with the Zenefit sort of thing. And basically that's where they made the money. They made the money for being an insurance broker. Mm. So you can see you can see why this was such a um a, a attractive company to VCs. I mean, they skyrocketed in like two years, they were up to like four point five billion in valuation or something like that. Mm. Um and they're com- basically they were competing asymmetrically on both sides. On the software side, they're competing against traditional HR software providers by offering a free product, and you know nothing is quite as attractive as free, particularly if you're talking to a small business trying to get off the ground. Right. And on the other side, they're competing as traditional insurance brokers with a this massive lead generation tool that that operates at scale. They don't have to buy expensive Google keywords. They don't have to quote unquote hit the pavement. Uh, they're like. They naturally have this in, and if they, to the degree they do need to advertise, they can advertise in the uh, payroll software market or the HR software market, which is much more inexpensive as opposed to the insurance market, which is one of the biggest money makers that Google has. Mm. So it's it's effectively lead gen, like their core business appears to be lead gen for insurance, effectively. Basically, yeah. Um, the 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 issue is states have lots of regulations that uh, uh, around insurance. One of them is which people selling insurance have to be licensed, and uh, Zenefits was not uh, ensuring that their that their people were licensed, to say the least. Not only that, they were actually creating software. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that's a very kind characterization based on what I've read of the uh, of the news that. Uh, the CEO had been stood down. They created a piece of software that ran in the background so that people were meant to do, the sales guys that needed to be licensed were meant to do 50 hours of licensing and this software ticked on in the background and it wouldn't allow you to log out via timeout, kind of implying that you'd done 50 hours when you could have been doing anything on the computer at all. Right, and and, and you know, to be clear, they still did take the actual license. So there's two parts. One is just they people weren't licensed. So that's issue one. Mm. And that was what BuzzFeed really uncovered. Issue two, which reportedly led directly to the founder and CEO uh, uh, firing, was that they were, was the creation of this program. This was for California. So there was two, two licensing issues. Uh, and, and reportedly they were still taking the test and, and presumably passing it. And folks have said the test is, is, is basically a, a, a lot of, a lot of busy work. Um, but, I got got me to thinking. Uh, I guess the real question that came up in my mind was there was lots of pieces about Silicon Valley needs to rein in its bad boy behavior and mm. move fast and break things, and you actually do have to follow the law and finally some accountability. And they all tied Zenefits to to Uber, 
And no. that, 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 well, sorry, Uber's back, but <laughs> Bingo. That, that, that didn't, that didn't ring right to me. To me, the Zenefit stuff seemed very problematic. Um, and obviously we've defended Uber's approach to, mm. to regulation. So was I being a hypocrite? Was I trying to back up the, the, you know, the, a company that I think has tremendous potential like, or, or is there a difference? And so what I was trying to do this article is think through, is there a difference in these situations? What is the difference? And then three, can you actually distill it down to, to some actionable points? So a startup can think about when I'm dealing with regulation, is this something that, that makes that, that, that is worth challenging or should I just, you know, buckle down and be a good citizen and, and follow the law? It's a um, it's a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic mental exercise, and uh, I, I love the fact that your reaction to this was to start to question whether this was hypocrisy or whether there was something different about it. Um, I my my guess and my hope is that you think there's something different about it. No, I I, I do, um, and and. So uh, Keith Raboy had a, had a tweet which um, that, that really started me thinking about this. He said basically if you are going to hack regulatory rules, ensure that the benefit is directly tied to the mm-hmm. consumer benefit. And that that kind of like started started the spark in in thinking about this. And uh, I, I think what was so um, – at the end of the day, I think the reason why th- th- we are um, – yeah. bullish about about Uber. And we, I don't even remember, but a year ago, we defended Zenefits on this podcast in the case of they Utah, were banned right? in Utah. Yeah. Right. Uh, because they, you know, they, they, their model was unfair. They're offering, this characterized as offering rebates. Mm. And we both thought that was ridiculous. But what felt so wrong about this one now is that this one now was just pure. Uh, Cutting corners. It yeah. Wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, where it, there, it, it it boils down to this is the regulation in the i don't know so i don't want to i i i've seen i read your daily update in your article and i think it was fantastic and you went into depth and you had a really great series of questions if i was to zoom out a little bit before we go down and and swoop into these questions it's like is there societal and in particular consumer benefit to having this regulation and that's where uh the the utah certainly feels like it failed the test and uber and and the taxi regulation it feels like it's designed to protect incumbents at the expense of consumers but having uh insurance brokers license so they understand how it works and doing the hard work before the exam if people say it's 50 hours like there's i don't it becomes much 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 more ambiguous right Right. Well, there's a few things there's a few angles to this. So one mm. I think for sure the biggest one is the is the is this the way I put it is this right? And that's such a fuzzy thing, but you're right. It is actually the most important one. And the problem and the challenge is that any startup is naturally going to assume that whatever they want to do is right. And <laughs> it's funny how incentives work that way, right? right? But but you have to think about is the is it right for a reason bigger than us, bigger than the fact that it makes our lives easier, makes makes our our, our business possible. And and yeah. is there a reason to actually this is a reason I didn't put in there. Is there a reason to believe that the current regulation is outdated? So in the case of Uber, like a, a big motivation for a lot of tax regulation was safety, right? But we've talked about if you think about it from a systematic perspective, a system where every single actor in it is tracked perfectly mm. and and is coordinated and you know the details and everything, you know where everything is, 
is on its face safer than randomly uh, picking someone up on the street that no one knows what's going on, no one knows where it is, who it is. Like it's just it's uh, like in the case of taxis picking people up the street, of course you need to have more rigorous upfront control because at the back end you have zero control. In, in Uber is the opposite. You you there's so much transparency about what is happening that uh yeah you, you it's possible to open the net you know to, to to rethink the the front end of the process no i totally agree i i would i would push you a little bit further than just saying that it is outdated assumptions though because i i would say it outdated assumptions or does it appear that this is a result of regulatory capture where it's where it's it's regulation designed to benefit incumbents uh, even independent of outdated thinking. But uh, beyond that, I think your point is absolutely well made. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's a few, there's, I mean, we might as well deal with this up front because this is for sure going to be the biggest objection people have this episode. And we get this objection every time we talk about regulation. And it's basically this idea of, you know, tough noogies, it's the law. If you want to change the law, get the, if you, if you don't like the law, change the law. Tell that to Rosa Parks. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> Okay. Or people point, point, hard- point granted, I, I I'm a little hesitant to invoke, uh, not not that you're not right, but I'm just hesitant to. But if to I be can so immodest to invoke. Something no, like that. no, I know. But if I can find a case where that is clearly not true, or you you go into Nazi Germany and people saying you have to turn in Jews, if I can find examples where it feels morally and ethically wrong to follow the law, then don't use that argument on me because it's bullshit. If the law is wrong, you have a moral obligation not to follow it. Now, oh, I, uh, agree. Uh, just with with the caveat that we're not saying that that, that Uber, Uber or no, Benefits no, no. are know, comparable uh, yes. to to segregation yeah, or yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> the whole I was I was, I was seriously. I the the whole like the law is the law argument really really gets me sometimes because there have been some horrific horrific laws and if you if you accept the fact that processes can break. Um, and if if you accept that processes the, the the process can break to such an extent to result in laws like that, um, then then that argument for me carries no weight. If it, like, uh, sorry. Anyway, I, I point you, made. Point point very well made. Point point made as well as it can possibly be made. Yeah, I, you you managed to find a hot but I, like I just got up on my soapbox. I didn't even. <laughs> I couldn't even stop myself. Sorry. Yeah. No, I just I, again. I no. I. You, the, the, but the point. The point. The point is made. Actually, it, it reminds me. Uh, I, I'm kind of glad you made it this way. Uh, a few weeks ago, I said something to the effect of, uh, you know, everything is contextual. So I was like, oh, so you're more relevant. So you think that it was okay? Blah blah blah. And they gave like some, some like slavery thing or I'm like I'm like no, of course I don't think that. Um. So I'm thank you for you going in the exact opposite direction. Hmm. But no, no the, the 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 point the, the yes. Uh, not not all laws are good, and, and two, uh, I think it's naive to think that uh, there's no way that that Uber could have walked into a city council meeting with a PowerPoint presentation and 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 gotten and gotten the, the right. relevant laws changed. Oh, I mean, absolutely not. The entire reason why Uber has succeeded, and this is why they're a model for thinking about this. Is they and we talked about this last week? Like they mobilized people on the ground, but to mobilize people on the ground, they had to demonstrate the the value that they were generating. Mm. And so there there's an aspect of um, 
just because intellectually the Uber model may or may not be better. And I, and of course, I know people disagree with that, but I think you're wrong. But that's fine. <laughs> um, uh, the like it's unrealistic and naive to think that they're just going to walk in and 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 make an argument on its merits. You make arguments on the ground and right. and, and they've done that. And I do think but that gets to a very important distinction here in the Zenefits thing. This is kind of the first test between the Zenefits versus Uber or versus mm-hmm. Zenefits back in Utah. Um and one is is the regulation unambiguous? The entire thing with Uber is it like yes, Uber competes with taxis, but you're not hailing a taxi that is centrally owned and managed. I mean, yes, the effect is that, but from a legal perspective, and this is the whole thing in, in why this is being litigated, is Uber is coordinating two independent actors. Now, I know people dispute whether the drivers are independent or not, and that's a fair thing to dispute, but the entire point is that it's under dispute, right? Yeah. It's not black and white. And so, yes, from a from the way it's experienced, Uber may be a taxi, but under the law, it is not clear. It needs to be litigated. In stark contrast to the law is very clear that to sell insurance, you need a license. Like there's no gray area. It's black or white. And that's, that's I think, the first biggest difference between mm. regulations that make sense to challenge and ones that don't is if it's black and white, like you're, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would agree with that statement. Um, I don't know enough about the laws of common carriage. I think that's what they're called to to understand whether like what qualifies and whether it's it's the transportation of someone for money whether that's enough to qualify. But I guess I don't want to get into that. I think there are two elements with with Zenefits. One is that they were doing things unlicensed, and that's the angle that BuzzFeed went. The second one around the second one around the person needs to do 50 hours and it's busy work. That feels a little bit more to me like the Uber thing, right? Like what, what counts is that they did the exam, they passed the exam. Now there was a requirement that seemed kind of arbitrary about them doing 50 hours worth of work. Now, if they can do the work to study for the test in an hour and pass the test, Mm. To- totally fair, and that, 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 I think that's absolutely fair. And you can say that's a that's a bad regulation. Mm. But the the issue is, and this just gets down from the nuts and bolts of making a business decision. Mm. And a business decision entails evaluating the risks and rewards. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, they were taking on risk for for a, a reward that wasn't nearly worth it. Yeah. And and, and what I mean is. Yes, it costs time and money for them to spend 50 hours doing the test, but it wasn't it wasn't impacting like the fundamental nature of their business. I think that's mostly true. I have some friends that work in this industry and act, uh, from my understanding, finding enough pe- finding enough people that are licensed is a serious challenge. Now, it may actually be finding enough people that are licensed and experienced. I don't know for certain, but I, I suspect that supply constraints were causing them to seriously look at in, in the same way that, you know, getting drivers on the road for Uber. Like, I think there was a supply side issue that caused them for, to look for ways to get around it. But again, um, I, I, I mentioned no, I, that I think, more I think that's fair. Well, let's, let's save that because I think that, yeah. that, that's a fair thing to talk about. I think an interesting angle on this. Huh. But my point being is that Zenefit's like core 
core model wasn't dependent on being able to take the test in one hour versus be able to take it in 50 hours, mm. right? In mm-hmm. contrast to Uber, like Uber's model depends on not following taxi regulations to the letter, mm-hmm. right? So that that increases the re- reward of vi- of taking a chance of violating an ambiguous regulation. Whereas you can, Zenefits can say, oh, this is a bad regulation, but like what's the worst thing that could happen if they followed it was a week of time for, for the relative employees, well, right? Like one, the, the yeah. fundamental nature of the business wasn't threatened. No, that's true. And there's Same thing with other- the Utah thing too, right? If Utah said it was illegal to yeah. offer your, your, your software for free, that's the entire point of Zenefits. So that was worth fighting against, right? Right. I, I think there's one other element that distinguishes uh, these two, which is uh, Utah and Uber. It's very much out in the open. It's very much like it's 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 civil disobedience that's done in the open, not trying well, to hide it. Well, may or may not be disobedience, because again, the point is the, right. the regulation yeah, is, but, is but, ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they're not trying to hide the fact that they have a point of view. Whereas the the 50 hour license thing, I think part of the the reason people have reacted the way they have is that it was done in the dark. It was kind of like a shady thing where it wasn't it wasn't like we are confident this is the right thing to do and we are going to be open about it. It was like, you know what, we're just going to create a little software application and we're not going to tell anybody. And when that kind of behavior comes to light, it always has more impact. Right. No, just from a PR perspective, but I think this gets to points, kind of tests three and four. You know, mm. one is the regulation unambiguous. Two is the regulation business critical. Mm-hmm. But then three and four is three, is there a user benefit to to testing whether the regulation applies or not. And then four, is there recourse if if you're caught or if you're found to be illegal? And the case of Uber, Uber's the best example of this, right? There's obvious user benefit to Uber mm. doing following their model. And they can then leverage that to, if they are challenged, they can mobilize people to put pressure on elected officials and, and, and regulators to, to interpret the laws in Uber's favor. So they have... So not only so one the regulations are are ambiguous two mm. it's critical that Uber to Uber's future and then three and four they have a way to to put pressure to make sure it comes out in their favor similar with with the Utah thing in this case the only one benefiting from from cutting the fifty hours thing or from not having licensed brokers the only people benefiting were Zenefits. Right, there is no one else benefiting. No one's going to come to their aid. No one's going to support them. And then you add on the PR effect that you talked about. That it just looks terrible, and and it's it's black and white that they're breaking the law. And it was just it was dumb. I think it was dumb. I again, there is there is uh, there are I'm, I I I find myself hesitant saying it because I feel like I, I agree with your argument, but I'm going to put on my devil's advocate hat. There are my, it's, general. It's <laughs> there are general market benefits to increasing supply of these folks if they're supply constrained if they can't sign up enough businesses or get businesses processed or help them with insurance because there are not aren't enough insurance brokers because literally this 50 hour thing is holding them up in the same way that I'm sure there are some crazy tests that you have to take if you're a taxi driver that slows things down like there are but again I, I'm, I, I think we're at the margins here. It's very hard to argue with what you've just said. Well, that's the point, though. I mean, I, 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 so I will grant your point, but that's why 
you know, decisions are, are difficult, right? It, it's And that's why you have to do this sort of risk-reward analysis. Mm. And my issue here is is all the relevant tests that I would think about when it comes to does it make sense to push the envelope on this on this regulation were were dead set against doing it. And so, what? Why? Why did? Why did they do it? Well, they we just talked about the beginning. They were falling short on revenue. Their valuations were under pressure. Showing yeah. pressure from VCs. Like, and, and this really gets to. Um, the the power of incentives and what it takes to be a, a, a good and effective manager because the incentives were clear like you can understand why they did this like mm. you, your devil's advocate argument is totally valid but that's why but that's that's why incentives are are so critical to understand everything was aligned for them to to break these laws and that's where it falls on the CEO to have the judgment to say, look, I, I, I get it. We're under pressure, but in the long run, this is going to, it's not worth the risk. It's just not worth it. And that, that was clearly, that's clearly a decision that was not made. Um, quite the opposite. Yeah. I, the, the move fast and break things. I, 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 I love your tests and I, I think there's, I think it's a very good idea to to have a series of tests that are like this and that are strict and hard to make it past because it really is a I, I know we like people there's a culture in the valley move fast and break things, but it is a big deal more often than not to go against regulation, obviously from a legal perspective, but also from a PR perspective and from a business risk perspective. Absolutely, as these guys are, as these guys are going to find out the hard way, and you should decide to cross that line with eyes wide open. It shouldn't be just a kind of like you know what we need to get these guys done a bit faster. Let's code up a little. A script to like make it look like they're doing the 50 hours when they're not like that's it seems i mean th- th- those deci- those decisions like that don't come with the big flashing neon lines like this could sink your business but anytime you're making a decision to break regulation like that you should <laughs> you should be very very careful right no that that and that that's exactly that's exactly the point because you can it's so easy to see exactly how this happened Right. And people say there, oh, this is ridiculous. And who needs to take 50 hours doing this? Blah, 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 blah. Like, well, as long as we pass the test, it's fine. Right. And that's why the the most important question is the is it right question. But that's mm-hmm. also almost the least valuable because when you're in the middle of it and all your incentives are pushing you in a certain direction, it's funny how often that answer is always going to come out in, in the favor of what you want it to be. Right. And yeah. that's and and. And again, I, I can recognize this. Uh, one other thing that, that's interesting about this is, I, I'm curious. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Mm. Uh, I feel Zenefits outside of their structure. And it's not like, it's not like I mean, they, they didn't have. They sound like their, their internal culture may not be the best it can be. At least you know, if if, if you know, r- rumor has it. Um, mm. But but leaving that aside, I, I almost feel like what makes the company so like catnip for VCs, this idea that they're competing asymmetrically on both sides Mm, of this market mm. they created. Mm -hmm. Like I almost feel like embedded in that is the root of, of stuff like this. And what I mean Mm. is their money making apparatus selling insurance is, is in many respects completely divorced from their product focus, which is creating HR software. And 
on one hand, on paper, that's what makes them so compelling because they can compete unfairly on both. But on the other side, when you're internally so misaligned, like that just seems like a recipe for stuff to fall down in the middle. Um, it's a it's a really interest it's a it's a really provocative question of which I hadn't thought about until you um, until you raised it. So anytime there are, there are asymmetries or uh, you can kind when you can kind of make money on both sides or you can wherever you get elements like that, you, uh, I mean I understand why VCs love it. Intellectually, it's just this amazing thing. Um, I, I can't think of many businesses that have really successfully pulled it off. The first one that comes to mind is Capture, which is uh, doing tax recognition on one side, but then selling user authentication on the other. And then they they managed to get um, they they managed to get users to identify the text for free for them, um, and they do the authentication stuff. It's it's like very clever, but it's also like is it it's a also bit- very small. It's, it is also very small. It's also a bit more closely aligned, I think, than than what we're talking about here. It's, uh, I mean, intellectually, I totally get why the VCs love it. But the question around is there something, is there something embedded in the misalignment such that it breeds this kind of behavior is a really interesting one. And um, I can I can see where the question's coming from. I, I can't. Like I love being able to put myself inside the head of managers and try and project out and think how it's going to work, but this is such a this is um, such an uh, it's like an orthogonal question. It's actually really hard to it's it's really hard to answer. Right. Well, because you can see you being so focused on product and trying to win market share, and meanwhile you're under pressure from your investors to get a return, and so you're just you're giving these like mandates to. The money making side, come on, more salespeople. I don't care. Fifty two hours—that's ridiculous. Like, take care of it, right? You, and you're not thinking through these, you know, these risk reward decisions that you need to because you're preoccupied with a different part of the business that has nothing to do with it, right? It, I mean, whereas I think the, the other company, actually, the company that I thought about closest was actually Google. Mm, mm. Um, in that Google. You know their advertising and their and their like so many of their businesses like they don't necessarily have to make money. It's just more about like draw, get more right. people on the internet. Yeah. Um. And it, it, it I guess it's an example of how it can like I think a, a mistake Google made. I think something they corrected, and one of the reasons why they you know they are deservedly doing doing better um in the marketing way is. For a few years there, Android was the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. They were making decisions uh, that favored Android that hurt the core business, even though the core business is where they actually made money. And I think that's an example of, of, in that case, Google is a product company. They're they're focused on products, and that's what the management thinks about. That's what the management cares about. I mean, uh, the Google – the. Famously, the Google CEO has never or never appears on earnings calls because that's he doesn't really care. Um, and uh, I mean, Sundar Pichai, Sundar Pichai does now, but before Larry Page would never, never would. But, but I mean, so oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, well, it's just an example. Of, no, I, I think I, the business suffered because the the management got so wrapped up in one of the products that was orthogonal to how they made money. 
But I, I mean, I, it's interesting you say this, and I was I was thinking about saying Facebook as well. Like, aren't on some level all these advertising based businesses fundamentally exactly what you describe? And if you boil it, if you if you squint in the right direction. Wasn't Zenefits effectively the same thing? It was basically in, it was basically arbitrage on Google AdWords. Like, it, if you look at it the right way, and if you think that that's if you think that that's the fundamental cause of it, then I mean, maybe the church-state divide wasn't strong enough. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they should have been more patient in terms of like, okay, guys, we've got to build this core product out, and we know that once we have enough users, we'll be able to monetize later on. In the same way that Google Search built its algorithm up before it started figuring out the AdWords, and there was a there was a big there's a church state divide there and it and that filtered on into building out other products that then supported them selling more ads i mean you could even make the same case for facebook and how they talk about building up the user base getting to a billion and then starting to think about monetization uh, m- maybe i mean i i think that th- what what you described of zenefits holds true there maybe they just didn't i, I don't know maybe it wasn't managed well enough it's it's I don't know. See, I, I, it, well, there's a degree though. There's a degree of yeah. separation, and I like Google's core business has always been well run, well managed, along with the ads business, even though they've been mm. separate. But they're mm. they're they're presented on the same page. They have to work together. They use mm. a lot of the same algorithms and data and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So there is, I think, much more of an alignment there. I think the specific example I would point to is Android because. Android's pure profit that indirectly helps the business, but doesn't directly isn't directly tied to 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 making money. Um, and same thing with Facebook. I think Facebook actually has been very disciplined in stark contrast to a lot of these other companies in the valley that are advertising based that just mm. don't seem to care about monetization. Like I wrote about Pinterest last week. Like I I think the company is you know it, it, I'm concerned. Um, the uh, and and they but facebook has been very thoughtful and they put their best people on 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 their ads and the fact that the like the facebook product is the reason why it's so compelling is that the content is fully integrated with the advertising it's in the feed mm. right and you're immersed in it and actually i think a, an interesting example of facebook avoiding the google mistake was they mm. closed down parse uh last week which was their kind of developer back end support and it was they were way behind. Their AWS was was getting better at the stuff that Parse was good at, and it also had so many more capabilities. Google mm. is 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 committed to, to to competing here. Microsoft is obviously you know chasing Azure or AWS as hard as they can, and so Facebook was behind. But also, it was this it was an Android kind of business in that you can see how having a developer backend and support and integration can tie into Facebook getting more data and feeding mm. that algorithm and having a way into advertisers. But it was this kind of double bank shot sort of connection that runs the risk of pulling away focus from what you are. And what you are is an advertising company. And all of Facebook's efforts, I think, are pretty aligned with that in a way that Parse wasn't. And I think to Facebook's credit, they they cut it off. Mm. Yeah. I, you're, you're making me think so as I'm listening to you, you're making me think it was a failure of management more than it's the fact that the two businesses are quite orthogonal. But maybe I could be wrong about that. Um, <laughs> I guess that's interesting. I, 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 no, I think first and foremost, it was a failure of management. But two, I, I'm, the more I think about it, the more the model 
I mean, maybe maybe people will, will will give us other examples of companies that are orthogonal like yeah. this. But there's so it's so often you see when companies. I mean, you saw this with with, with Microsoft. I mean, getting wrapped up around Windows, right? That was an mm. idea of where the the focus on a product and and impacted the way the company needed to shift how it made money and it limited them. I mean, if you get locked, it's it's hard to hold orthogonal models in your head and and mm. one it, it's hard to balance them correctly and two you're gonna miss stuff you're like stuff's gonna fall through the cracks yeah i there's no argument about that i like i i like I wonder if they'd incubated the the front end more and then and then created more of that chinese i'm back to zenefits created more of that chinese walls between uh where it was necessary between what got the user on board, which is search or which is uh, for Google or or the, the 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 core product offering for the user with Facebook before they started to to turn on the spigot in terms of ads. And and maybe maybe like part of this is the VC pressure. Like they put so much pressure, show us the returns right now. We want to see the returns right now. And that just causes you to cut corners. Yeah, I mean and Zenefits was so aggressive in raising money. I mean for I think they're valued up to 4.5 billion after two years, like I said last last summer. Yeah, and it, it's it like it's 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 really becoming clear what a handicap that was. I mean, like I think yes. a company that has got hammered, it just got so crippled by this was was Dropbox. Um, you know, raising at 10 billion, and it sounds so great and it's so mm. attractive, but it's so costly, and it's costly in that uh, like one the pressure to live up to it. Mm. Two, like there's a there, there's a there's a human resources problem in that like if you're a, it, so say your Dropbox is competing against Google for for employees right Google's going to offer a much bigger salary and it, that's just what they that's what they do but Google's you know their their upside on the stock as is, is for any large company is going to be more limited all that you know they've certainly been doing well but I, the idea is the upside for a startup or a non-public company. You make up the the salary difference with with the stock. Mm-hmm. The problem is, if you want to go work for Dropbox, do you really believe Dropbox is going to? They're going to offer you stock at a ten billion price, you know, based on a ten billion valuation. Do you think they're going to double that? I mean, I, I'm at the point now where I don't think that's likely to be the case. Well, now I think it's the case, but they're probably going to have to take a haircut, right? Right. And and so and so now you're 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 just handicapped in so many ways. Um, and I think that's probably going to be a um a lesson that's going to come out of this for a lot for a lot of companies. I mean, if you're a company like Uber, like you better be you better be really damn sure that you're you're on a rocket ship that the market is big enough that you can realistically grow into it. And I think uh, the the real cost of high valuations uh, is is going to be you know, deeply felt. That it's interesting. You're making me think of something in another is in another um, completely different context. I got some advice very early on in my career that um, it's often a sign of maturity to not want the next job until you're ready to take it. 
because what happens is you're this star, you go, you rise up super fast, you take on something before you're ready, before you've had the right experiences, you fail at it, and then that that like that failure sticks with you, it mars you, it makes life really difficult inside of certain firms, certain industries to get back from it. And it almost feels like these raising raising these huge valuations um, potentially too soon, it, it, it runs the same risk because once the if you can't sustain the momentum, once it drops off, there's always there's for the this extended period of time there's going to be this damaged goods reputation that follows you around and then that impacts your ability to hire and it starts to become self fulfilling and it's really hard to break. No, absolutely, absolutely, and um, it's I think this it will be interesting to do a a a. a a retrospective i mean i think it, you know it's just starting to shake out now but but the lessons that will be learned in some respects like the lessons from 1999 were were learned i think you know i mean companies mm. companies didn't go public with no revenue and no no realistic business model you know and <laughs> and make tons of money and then and then, and then burn out like People realize that you don't make up a loss on volume. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to it's describe how lesson. it's hard to describe how ridiculous <laughs> things were in 1998, 1999. I mean, um, but on the on it, but on the flip side, like it's kind of like a pendulum, right? You swing back and forth. So now you have companies stay, staying private longer. You, I think, you had a sense that. Uh, it goes. Everyone's, you know, the press has been talking. About, there's a bubble. People always pull out occasionally, like a tweet, like list of people calling the bubble every year since like 2007. Mm. Um, but I think that meant uh, that meant founders wanted to take as much money as they could when they could. Why not? Because what if there is a bubble? At least we have a lot of money in the bank. Mm. And now that's coming back to bite companies that took too much, that are worth too much, that are either a gonna have to take a haircut at, at work, you know, or at best are going to have trouble hiring because they just can't offer upside. Um, and it, it, you know, it's, it's, you, you, you live, you learn, and that goes for people and that goes for industries. Yeah. I, I think it's less about taking too much. I think it's more about um, taking too high valuation or insisting on like trying to push to the highest bidder, because if you, if if the if the valuation is fair, then the amount you give up is just a function of okay, maybe maybe I do think there's a there's a funding crunch coming, and I want to be a bit more conservative and put some money in the bank. That's that's different from insisting that you push up to four and a half billion or ten billion before you're ready, and and the and the 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 uh, the associated collapse that that comes with that when you can't maintain that momentum. Yeah, and I it, it just it's an example of you know so much success and I think this ties back into the regulation thinking. The whole reason to to do like a stress test on your approach to regulations is balancing the short-term benefit versus the long-term potential mm. cost, right? And we talk about expected value of like investing. It's the same thing here. What's right. the what's the expected value of pushing the envelope on regulation. I don't want to say breaking regulation because I think one of the tests is you may not be breaking the regulation. The question is, are you going to even test it? Um, and it's all about balancing that long-term expected value versus kind of the short-term gain. And it's the same thing thinking about when you raise money, when you do valuations, like what's the long-term risk, benefit, upside, downside versus the short-term prestige, you know, you're going to be on the front page of TechCrunch. And I was like, oh my God, you're, 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 you're a, a decacorn. 
it, it's it's a sugar what, hit though, right? Yeah, with like, the, with, that's what management's about, right? It's it's about being able to make those decisions and the entire. It's funny because we rail, or I, I, I think you do more than I. I think I'm a little more more uh, uh, understanding of public markets, but we can rail against public markets for putting short term pressure on companies and not letting them think about the long term. Mm. When what we are describing, a lot of these private companies did was they did short term optimal things that are hurting them now in the long run. Well, it's it's because unfortunately tech's become a hot sector and it's pulled all the finance people out from New York. <laughs> That's right. Blame the finance and the MBAs. <laughs> yeah, blame blame those the MBAs. Damn MBAs. <laughs> it, it's fast I mean I think it gets to the point though short term versus long term thinking is a function of the human condition. It's not a function of Wall Street putting pressure on you and blaming everything on 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 Wall Street I think is a bit of a red herring. Like the problem is bad management one or two, frankly, uh, a lot of companies don't have the right incentives or structure in place to build what's next anyway. So yeah, by all means, let's extract as much money from them as possible and put it in companies that can. Mm. I, 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 so in general, I think this is true. I still, I'm, I still rail against the the short termism of the public markets a little bit, and I, I accept that there is an element of, um, I accept there is an element of short termism in the human behavior. But I think this is, um, I think this is. Uh, there's something else here going on, and it's it's almost like people getting drunk on the high of an exuberant market and people trying to take advantage of it as opposed to just a short-term focus. Like when you're in the midst of a when you're in the midst of a bubble and you see everyone raising all this money and doing all these things, you think, I don't know, I think I, I think we should do this too. Like that got you on the front page of the newspaper. It's it's um I, I don't. I, I feel like there's something different, but I don't have a good articulation of what it is. Well, it, it's 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 prioritizing the the short term over the long term, and that's the short term doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. It yeah. could be it could be how you feel, uh, and and. But I, I think these folks are raising this money without even the recognition that there was going to be a hit to the long term. I, I think I think it's only now that it's starting to dawn on them that there were long term consequences to their actions that weren't foreseeable by pushing these valuations up. Like this is something that that started to get written about. I feel like last year with some of these onerous terms on these high valuations, and it's it's increased in the 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 volume has increased. As we've gotten further into this kind of this kind of wintry feeling, but I don't necessarily know it was an immediately clear. Uh, I am prioritizing the short term over the long term when lots of these folks were making these decisions. No, totally, and and, and I mean, I mean, and I I didn't like not, we didn't say this a year ago either. So I mean, it's easy to sit here on the sideline and, and criticize. To be to be super clear, I, I think though the point that it gets back to is the importance of being able to abstract yourself out of a situation and think through it critically. And like that, like that's like, that's why I try to put like these, this test here for regulation, right? right? Cause if you just depend on, is this the right thing to do? Or is this a bad regulation? You're going to make bad decisions because you can understand how, why Zenefits skip the test. You can understand mm. why they push through. And that's why you need the discipline mm. and the judgment to, to, 
prevent yourself from doing what is natural to do. And it's the same thing, I think, when it comes to to raising money and doing this. And it's hard. Like, there's no question it's hard. I mean, that's why there's not many great CEOs, frankly. Like, that's – I've talked about this. The reason why I admire – uh, Zuckerberg is not because he's disciplined now in his approach to monetization of Instagram or or WhatsApp or whatever. It's because he was disciplined about Facebook even when they were getting hammered by the markets. You know, like they were under so much pressure after their IPO, uh, and their their stock was like half the price and and tons of criticism. And they didn't just slap up ads; like they took the time to build it for the long term. And that's 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 so hard to do. And frankly, though. Because Zuckerberg did that, now Facebook has all the leeway to build for the long term that they want, and the market will give that to them, just like Amazon does, just like Google does. These companies do have leeway from Wall Street to build for the long term because they've proved they deserve it. But but here's the thing. Here's the difference between the two the two contexts, and I think it's it's critical. I think Zuckerberg was able to resist that pressure because he still owned most of the company or at the very least, the voting rights of the people who own the remainder of the company couldn't force him out. And he gets an additional benefit. And this is something I've observed time and time again. Founders, like these founder CEOs, get more leeway from the market to do these things than they otherwise would be able. So so I'm, I'm still on the I'm still reacting to the the short-termism of the public markets versus the short-termism that some of these founders have displayed um, uh, in, in raising money where I don't think they saw what was happening when they were raising money. But the public markets thing, like Zuckerberg was able to resist that because people couldn't take him out. And I think that is a that is a critical that is a that is a fantastic example of how what the market was pressuring him to do and he was able to resist because he was able to ignore the market ended up resulting in a better long-term financial outcome for those investors. Yeah, that that's fair and I think the 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 point that uh f- founders are given more leeway. I think it's not like why? Well, it's because th- by virtue of having founded it, there's uh, an incentive factor that that you just kind of presume they want the company to exist for the long term. Mm-hmm. Whereas professional managers, that are the case for most public companies that aren't founders, like we, we've tried to jury rig ways to align their incentives, and mm-hmm. I think that's where things have really um, that, 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 that this is where the real problem is because uh, most CEOs are incentivized by the stock for example. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that incent that's where the issue comes in and not just the the threat of 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 investors Getting. taking over which is very rare frankly. Well, um, they can relatively get fired. speaking. Right, it, it's 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 hard to get fired. Um but the the uh the fact that your compensation is tied to the performance of the stock motivates you to uh juice it uh yeah. for lack of a, uh-huh. lack of a better word and I mean, then again, theoretically, a, a properly functioning market should value long-term investment. So I don't know. There, there's there's it's there's lots of potential causes and, and things going on here. No, I agree. I I think that that last part is the is the element that I would focus on. I think this is this is. I can't say exclusively, but I think there is a large part of this which is which boils down to it not being a properly functioning market. Yeah, because I mean, uh, stock should be reflective of the of the long term growth potential of, of of a company, not just like the most recent quarterly right. 
quarterly but returns. You, you take a look at what happens when, like the the swings on the quarterly returns. It's just and the in, uh, the intensity of focus inside public companies around that more more often than not is just and I, I don't think it leads to good long term outcomes. Yeah, no, that's that's fair, and I think that's that's the that that's what drives the call for, for example, you know. Taxing, increasing the the like right now, you only have to hold a stock for a year to get the lower capital gains rate, and that that should be oh, I, I'd love significantly to see, extended. Oh, I'd love to see a sliding scale where if you hold it for a second, it's basically ninety nine point nine nine percent all the way to you hold it to ten years and you see it at like ten percent. I think, for example, in terms of regulation that would encourage people to act to align the interests of. Uh, corporate actors, investors, and societal benefit. I think that would be a phenomenal. That would be a phenomenal piece of tax policy. You know, no, I, I agree. I this the, the one thing I can't I can't get away from though, and I'm not going to let you answer this because we got to wrap this up. But mm. it is is true. But okay. <laughs> I, to what? I don't know. I, I'm not sure it's a terrible thing that the stock market is wringing money out of incumbent companies and. I, theoretically, or as ideally, funneling it to up-and-coming companies. Um, like, why do we expect innovation to come from the established companies? Oh, I, I, I agree. I, I, I'm, and I'm not saying that would change. I mean, if you think that the amount of money that you make, uh, I'm answering the question when I wasn't allowed to. So, but um, if you think that the amount <laughs> of, of money investors uh, would make, um. Uh, so they're wringing the money out. Like if you if if there's an investor who's focused on like uh, high velocity trading or whatever, and they've figured out an algorithm that makes them lots of money and it wrings the money out over the course of a second, then they're still going to do it over that second. It's like finding twenty dollars on the on the sidewalk. They're still going to pick it up. But you want people focused further out. I just think that like the 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 old uh, the old saying like in the short run the stock market is a voting machine in a long in the long run it's a weighing machine i think that's true like that rings true to societal value maybe i'm not exactly answering your question maybe i'm still trying to make my previous point and if so like give me no a slap i, when I I'm think done. i think it's a i think it's a fair point like we, we, we what you're calling for is a mechanism to re-emphasize the weighing aspect as right. opposed and, to the and, voting aspect. And and the weighing aspect, again, in a properly functioning society with regulations around environmental protection and whatever, the weighing aspect is where the value is created for society. And that's why people celebrated Steve Jobs when he died. I don't think people fundamentally have a problem with capitalism. What they want is for, for what capitalism is created. Like when people are making money, that it be associated with value to society. And that takes a long-term point of view. And I think we as a society do not do a good job of encouraging that of our companies or our investors. Very good. Um, I actually had another point to make on that, but that would be another like 15 minutes. So we'll save it. <laughs> All right. Next time. Um, cool. Well, uh, thank you for, for thank you for uh, for for jumping on early for me. Hopefully, of like course. nothing nothing drastic happens over the next few days that makes it that makes this uh, mm. immaterial. Well, it's good to talk to you again, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one.